Hello, my good friends. Mike Shreve here, founder and head troublemaker of the No Pants Project. You are listening to episode four of the No Pants Show. We're going to be talking about money mindset stuff. I'm going to be giving you the three most common hurdles, obstacles, struggles that new freelancers, new business owners experience when they first get started really asking to get paid. So this is not a woo-woo kind of an episode where we're going to be talking about universal money attraction or anything. I'm not really into that kind of stuff. Instead, what I'm talking about here specifically is that the way you think about money might actually be losing you sales. Or it might be leading to self-sabotage within your own business. For example, if you think money is evil, in what universe is your brain going to actively help you to get more of the thing that you think is evil, right? This is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. I want to talk about money with you in this episode that will allow you to view it objectively instead of subjectively, which is how most people interact with or It's the lens through which they have a relationship with money. One of the most important things to understand about money is that it doesn't care. And I think most people understand this intuitively because good people and bad people get money. So money is not this thing that cares about whether you've worked hard or cares about whether you're a good person, or cares about whether you're a bad person and haven't worked hard. So that means that money is not emotionally charged in and of itself, which is to say, we are the ones who assign emotion to money. So it comes from us not from money itself, but it comes from us, how we believe money to have meaning. I hope I can redefine that meaning for you in today's episode so that you can get more of it, that you can get the amount you need, the amount that you want, So you can do the things that you want. Because the first most important thing, so of our three, number one is that money is simply a tool. That's all it is. It's just a tool. I wish that we could all go back to the barter system like one month out of the year. Because if we all went back to the barter system one month out of the year, I think it would snap a lot of us out of the mystique we've put around money. That the greenbacks are some kind of, uh, you know, greenbacks, I mean dollar, um, that there's some kind of magical, mystical thing that has power or has meaning, has uh, influence over us. But if we went to the barter system once a month every year, And for a month, we had to trade things to get things we wanted. Five apples for an hour of your time. I think we'd see and understand that the dollar is simply 
a more efficient bartering process. Because if you had to actually barter with people, it would take you forever to make a transaction happen. Like if you went to the grocery store and you're trying to barter your groceries and you had to sit there with a cashier and the cashier had to say, well, this is what we're willing to give and this is what I'm willing to give and this is what you're willing to give and this is what I'm willing to give. It would take you forever to go grocery shopping. (laughs) If one month out of the year we had to experience the excruciating pain of trying to make a trade, we'd very quickly realize That money is simply a representative tool of that same process, which allows the process to be more efficient. Therefore, the exchange of money is simply a barter. We just use a unit of measurement that we can both agree on. I mean, we could get deep into the fact that money only has as much value as the collective society agrees that it has. And it wouldn't be that difficult for a segment of the society to just say, you know what, I don't believe it's worth that anymore. But that's a whole nother discussion about monetary value that we don't have time for in this episode. But the idea is that if money is just a tool in that sense, how else is it a tool? If it is a representation of bartering, of what I'm willing to trade you for you to give me what I want, how deep does that utility, the utility of that tool, permeate or how deep does it go into other parts of our lives? Well, as a service provider, as a freelancer... And we're going to talk about this in the third point that undercharging is actually unethical or maybe it's the second point. But if you say my service is worth X amount of money, what you're really saying is I'm willing to trade this much of my time and talent and energy and focus for this agreed upon unit of measurement, which maybe you got that dollar by doing X, Y, Z. And this is the most efficient way for us to exchange the trade to, to make the trade happen. Which now you start to think about it, the tool of money is a efficient way for you to be clear with strangers or prospects or clients about what you need in order to give them what they want. Another way to think about it is that undercharging is unethical. So let's talk about that for a second. So the number two thing that most people need to realize as a freelancer is that when you undercharge people, you are being dishonest. See, a lot of people's mind is the other way around. Well, I don't want to charge too much 
I'll, I'll undercharge and that will be the right thing to do. Here's why undercharging is dishonest and unethical. When you undercharge someone, when you say, okay, the trade I'm going to make is I want less from you than I probably need in order to give you what you want. Here's what happens nine times out of 10. If it takes you five hours to write a blog post, like a really, really good one to do your best work and you charge a client for a two hour blog post, but you're still putting in five hours and you've given three hours of your time away, then what you've done is you have put yourself into a situation where you are likely more tempted to under deliver on what the client believes was your desired trade. Let me say that one more time in a different way. If you're in one of our programs uh, in the No Pants Project coaching mentoring program. Go to the nopantsproject.com and you can find out more about that. The No Pants Project mentoring program, we spend time focusing with you on what your freedom number is. Now, why do we do that? What's the point of a freedom number? A freedom number is basically the number that you need to charge or the number you need to make per hour of your time devoted to your business in order for you to have enough to be happy to we're not talking about you know buying louis vuitton bags every week it's a more realistic approach you know nice house bills paid etc that kind of thing what is your freedom number the reason we have to figure out that freedom number is because anytime we go below that number meaning if our freedom number is a hundred dollars an hour and we know it takes us five hours to do a really good blog post. Anytime we charge under $500 for a blog post, okay, five times 100, what we are essentially doing is robbing our client of our best work. Because we will be utterly tempted to not put in the full five hours, to not put in the full work. Because this is when price justification starts coming in on the bad side of things. You start saying, well, you know what? They only paid me $200. I'm only gonna do a $200 blog post instead of doing my best. And so now you get into this cycle of commoditization because you aren't doing your best. And if you go out into the market with the plan of I'm not going to, to deliver my best, that's why you're stuck. Because you are like every other commoditized freelancer who thinks that the way to satisfy clients is to undercharge, is to take the tool of money and make it impossible for themselves to deliver their best work. And now you have a client who doesn't know any better. Because you never told them in the conversation, oh, by the way, I'm charging you less and so I'm going to give you less than my best. You never said that in the conversation. So the client assumes that you're an ethical person 
and that when you priced your services, you priced them so that you would deliver the best possible form of whatever it is that you're doing. And then when they get back what is less than your best, they're not terribly impressed. And that moment when they see what they've paid for, it can cause all sorts of confusion in them. And then they start to wonder what's the difference between you and everybody else. And either they continue to buy from you, but now they treat you like a commodity. Or they don't buy from you anymore. A lot of people, when they very first start asking for money, because of the fear of rejection, because they're afraid that if they get paid their dream amount that matches their freedom number, and that if they're given the opportunity to do their best, to devote as much time as they need to devote, to have enough money from this project to not be stressing out about the... So they're in their full creative capacity and they're making the thing for the client. They're afraid that the client still won't like it. And there is tremendous irony in the fact that the response to that fear is to lower your price to guarantee that the client won't like what it is that you produce because you didn't advocate for yourself and use the tool of money to buy the time and attention that you're willing to trade this client in exchange for this agreed upon monetary tool, which is called money, instead of having to barter for everything. And because you weren't able to advocate for yourself in that regard, and have a full understanding of what money actually is, now you're in the exact situation that you feared. This is why I say it's unethical to undercharge. Now, let's merge these two things together. Money is a tool, and it is unethical to undercharge And let's talk about using money as an ethical tool. This isn't number three. This is still number one and two. Many of the people that I work with in helping them to build their own freelancing business and in the clients that I serve as a freelancer, they want to do great things. Things that are, for the most part, beyond what they could do alone with their limited skill set, time in the day, etc. Like one person can only do so much, okay? You need to rest. You need to not be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so most of the things that people I meet want to do sounds like this. I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. Oh, and I want to help as many people as I can and I want to... And... All of those are great. I love all of it. 
But one person cannot do all of those things. Therefore, you need the help of other people nine times out of 10 to do whatever it is that you want to do. That help can come in various ways. Maybe it's as simple as hiring someone to come clean your house so that you have an extra two or three hours a week. Maybe it's hiring a virtual assistant to do your support tickets so that you don't have to sit and you know, answer support tickets all day. Maybe it's hiring a designer to do your logo. Maybe it's whatever that process is. It's so important that if you're going to start a business, you just need to accept that you're not going to be able to do all of it all by yourself. To realize that the Homo sapien is the last of the living humans because of our social nature, which is to say we as a species are reliant on one another. So if that is true, if helping women entrepreneurs in Africa get access to cell phones, if uh, like Charity Water, which is one of the charities that we support here at the No Pants Project, if helping people have clean drinking water around the world is important to you, if advocating for special needs is important to you, if whatever growing your business, if having time with your kids, if, 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 if any of these things are important to you, then you have to go back to the original idea of barter and say, you can't do it for yourself all by yourself. There's just, there's too many skill sets involved. There's too much travel and time and whatever, all these different things that are involved that you just can't do it by yourself. You need to admit that you can't do it by yourself. So you need other people's help. But those people need stuff too. And so we need to barter things with them. We need to trade stuff with them. One of the things that we can trade is money. Because it is the tool that's been created to create a more efficient bartering system. So now money is no longer about how much of it can I hoard into my bank. Because all it is is a representative metric of a barter or a bartering transaction. More, I think is more accurate. Therefore, to just hoard it in my bank is like hoarding Monopoly money because I'm not using it for its intended purpose, which is to barter. Now you can see why the getting of more of that tool can be a highly ethical and even admirable pursuit. Because if your goal is to get as much of that tool as possible so that you can expand your ability to barter to get good things done, you are, in essence, collecting tools for influence and change and improvement. 
and it's not a zero-sum game. If I barter with someone, that doesn't mean somebody else can't also barter with that person. So by me collecting representations of that bartering process, I'm not ruining anyone. If I then take those tools and try and help as many people as I possibly can, I've now created more than what was originally. Which is to say, I've now expanded and grown the influence of that tool than it was originally in its sort of, uh, you could call primary state. I've turned it into something more than just monopoly money. So if that is all true, and in my experience it has been, not to say that there aren't people who abuse this. Let's be perfectly clear. Part of our ability to have evolved to the point where we have evolved is that every once in a while we have some really nasty people <laughs> within our species who do things that, you know, are pretty horrible. And then our ability to deal with that and, and sort of work around it is, is what makes us hum human beings. So I'm not saying that that's not happening, but what I am saying is it doesn't have to happen because money doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're good or bad. I want to start a revolution where good people get filthy, stinking rich. So that we can outnumber the bad people who are filthy, stinking rich. Because money doesn't care. So, if that's all true, then we need to understand what's the best mechanism for getting as much of those representations of bartering, aka money, as we possibly can, so that we can have the ability to do many of the things that we want to do. Here's the best way that I can describe this process to know how to get as much money as possible. It's very, very simple. And it is that people pay for what they value, period, full stop. People pay for what they value. In other words, a very simple measurement. If you do not have enough of the monies, if you do not have enough little tickets that represent bartering, it is because you are not offering something that people value to trade. Let me say that one more time. If you don't have enough of the tickets to whatever, bartering, the money that we've been talking about, this thing that doesn't care, it's completely lifeless, it's objective, it's not subjective. If you don't have enough of those tickets, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're bad at sales. It's not because you don't have the right marketing system. It's not because you whatever, whatever, whatever. It is because what you are offering 
how you're offering it and who you're offering it to is not equal in value to the number of those money tickets that you want. So let me give you a really, 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 really bad example. But it was the first example that came to my mind, okay? (laughs) So forgive me if you're offended by this example, but it is an actual example. There are lots of therapists in the United States. Lots of them. Most of them don't make a lot of money. There is one who makes a lot. And his name is Dr. Phil. And the reason that he came on into my mind is because recently he was, he's been like studying interrogation tactics or something. And he's trying to become a human lie detector, which is its own set of um, hilarious memes. But Dr. Phil, who I think it doesn't even have his practicing license anymore has made millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Now, you may say he's a horrible person. You may say, I don't want to be like him. You can make all sorts of subjective judgments about him as a person and how he's collected that money. But the money doesn't care. So it has gone to him. The difference between Dr. Phil and the average therapist is this simple. The average therapist sees one person at a time. Dr. Phil sees millions of people at a time. And so his value exchange is higher than a therapist only because of volume. Okay, because he's delivering value to more people. Now, again, you may say to yourself, Dr. Phil ain't adding no value, but guess what? Millions of people tune into his show because of whatever reason, even if the value is just entertainment. See, this is the thing business owners get too hung up on what's the ROI? What's the ROI? What's the ROI? I don't know. What's the ROI of paying $16 for a movie ticket? Because I love doing that. My family and I, we love going to the movies. And I will happily pay $16. Because that is value to me. So, again, this is where personal judgment and pre... Sort of like... A lot of subjective ideas that you have about money could be holding you back. Because money is objective. It doesn't care. It goes where the value is. And your job isn't to do anything other than be a detective to find where the value is. Then you can make the moral judgments. But you make the moral judgments after you do the the detective work. And say, okay, well, this is what people are paying for. Is this something I want to get involved? There's plenty of businesses I'm not getting involved in. But I did the detective work to see how it worked. And then I said, okay, maybe I do or maybe I don't want to do that. 
But let's talk about Dr. Phil. Okay. Dr. Phil runs his business based on volume. That's his business. He was able to increase value, ergo increase his ability to barter by using the volume model. One guy in a studio with a big old team broadcast to millions of people. Millions of people tune in. He's able to exchange that that uh, barter with, with advertisers, with other people, and that's how he gets his money. Okay. I don't recommend the volume model. I just don't recommend it. Not for service providers. But that seems to be the default that most freelancers go into. They say, well, I'm going to... How I'm going to add value is I'm just going to have 50,000 clients. Not really 50,000, but you get the idea. I'll do seven blog posts a day, seven days a week, and I'll add a ton of value. That is a way, I don't think it's a good way for freelancers. Now, if you want to talk about product creation, selling products at scale, and when I mean product creation, I mean like a signature course or something like that that we teach in the expert maker programs, that's a different thing that I'm talking about right now. That is scaled value. So you can do volume and you should do volume. But if we're talking about selling our services, volume is not the way to go. Instead, we want to take the approach of a high-end craftsman. We want someone, instead of going to Walmart to buy a chair, to buy our $1,000 chair that took us three months to make. What that means is premium. A good freelance business model is to be a premium service provider. And we may do a whole episode where we talk in depth about premium services and how to structure them. But the short version of a premium service provider is someone who has done the work of finding a freedom number, which if you don't know what that is for you, come join us inside the No Pants Project coaching program. Absolutely help you find that number and price your services accordingly. But you find that freedom number and then you charge enough to give you the creative space, to give you the creative energy, to give you the peace of mind, to give you the ability to do your best work. Because premium is not a label you put on people who do the bare minimum or people who undercharge and get themselves stuck in situations where they're unable to do their best work. So, to tie all of this together, If people value or people buy what they value,
most people value the best quality. Now you can say, well, what about Walmart? What about Amazon? What about all these? Well, what about them? They're all businesses that operate at time extended net negative ROI. Which is to say Amazon hasn't produced a profit and I can't remember what the last number was, how many years. Walmart's strategy is to come into a town, hit their prices so low that they don't make money for months and months on end, destroy all the other businesses, and then prop their prices back up. So even the, the companies that we think are undercharging, low cost, etc., etc., even they don't follow the model. They just follow it temporarily and then they do all sorts of finagling and all this kind of stuff. So the reality is that most people prefer the best for what they can afford, right? So what you have to do then especially if your clients are business owners, which is if, if you're freelancing, you're creative freelancing, that's who you, most of your customers and clients are going to be. They're going to be business owners. They really want the best you have to offer. I've never met a business owner who has ever said, I'm going to hire a freelancer because I know they're going to do a bad job. Now, I've never seen that <laughs> ever before. Therefore, your job is to advocate for yourself so that you can deliver on that specific promise. And by doing so, it will allow you to accumulate as many of the tool called money as you can get to then recycle to do more good. Hopefully, you have seen in this podcast audio, hopefully you're convinced or hopefully I've been able to show you or hopefully you've had an idea or a breakthrough. Hopefully you are able to rethink money in a way that will allow you to stop self-sabotaging yourself and to allow you to better serve the people around you, not just your clients, but all the people around you. You will never hear me advocate making as much money as possible so you can buy a bunch of Lamborghinis. But I will go to my grave, pounding my chest, screaming at the top of my lungs if I have to, that if you are a good and ethical person, you have a responsibility, in my opinion, allow me to be frank for a second, you have a responsibility to make as much money as you can. Because money is just a tool. And a tool in the right hands is powerful. A tool in the wrong hands is a weapon. So, I'll leave that thought with you. 
Consider how you have been having conversations with potential clients, with prospects, etc. Consider your own beliefs around money and whether you are attaching emotions to something that is emotionless. And think about the fear you have in asking for higher prices because you're afraid of being rejected because you don't think the client's going to like what you do and ask yourself by undercharging, am I not doing exactly that? Am I not delivering a lower quality service because I've priced myself out of the, uh, my abilities to perform well? These are important questions to ask, especially if you want to succeed in 2019 and beyond. There are more and more businesses happening and growing than ever before, which is an amazing and wonderful thing, which is simply evidence that your best is needed now more than ever. And my dear friends, if you need help to grow your business, come check us out at the nopantsproject.com. See a quick case study of how I built a $26,500 a month freelancing business, which frankly, it's grown much bigger since then. But (laughs) that's, I guess, the title of the case study. Watch that video. At the end of that video, you can have a call with one of our team members, one of our no pants advisors to see if you would be a good fit for our mentoring program, coaching and mentoring program, access to, I believe, last count, seven different coaches, including myself, to help walk you through this process and build a ethical, but also profitable How about profitable because it is ethical, creative freelancing business? That's the nopantsproject.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. More to come every single day on the No Pants Show. And I'll see you next time.